This episode is presented by the Brooklyn Kitchen. Learn more at brooklynkitchen.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Meet and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and we're hitting the road for this episode and taking you inside our day trip to Newark, New Jersey's culinary spaces. Communications director Kat Johnson, some of our amazing intern team Dylan, Ariyama, and Aliyah, and I gathered at New York's Penn Station, waiting for our early morning train to Newark. Our friend Marco Shima from Aero Farms arranged a whole day of city stops to explore some of the innovative things happening in Newark. First up was the one-of-a-kind Phillips Academy that goes above and beyond to integrate food into many aspects of their students' lives through their Ecospaces program. Ariama Long has more. We're here at Phillips Academy Charter School in Newark, New Jersey, the first stop on our tour. We're listening to Vanessa Parker. She is part of Phillips Academy's culinary team and coordinates tastings in the salad bar during school lunch each day. Every day we have a fresh salad bar uh, presented for the children, and I also do a couple of composed salads. And today we're featuring wheat bulgur with blueberries, kale, and red onion. And also I have a Mediterranean salad, artichokes, sun-dried tomatoes, and black olives with a little olive oil and oregano. And I also make all the house dressings, which I don't have a lot today, but I do make all the dressings. Phillips Academy is a public charter school from pre-K through 8th grade. It serves 482 primarily black and Latinx children from Newark, East Orange, and Irvington. The students eat fresh local ingredients and vegetables, which extends beyond the cafeteria and into the classroom. Yeah, I think it's a bit of an anomaly in the whole, in the whole country. That's Frank Mentesana, founding director of Ecospaces the food program that works with Phillips Education Partners to bring health awareness to students and families. He's playing our tour guide today and showing us the cafeteria, teaching kitchen, and rooftop garden. What we do is that we operate on a what we call harvest of the month program. So every single month we have a different harvest. So everyone knows what that harvest is and so the teachers can actually do their own lessons in the classroom based on the harvest and the harvest of the month shows up on the on the lunch menu every single week. So they're they're experiencing beets as a beet smoothie or beets as roasted beets with lentils or they they do a beet chocolate whole wheat cake. Ecospaces activities reinforce what the kids learn in the classroom. For example, they use red cabbage for pH tests in science, hand make their own tea bags, or use fractions while cooking. So again, it's, it's that constant, how do we connect kids to food that is real food, that it's not, that's not fast food, that's not packaged food, that's not processed food. So whenever they're touching, tasting, growing, cooking, we feel like we're making great, great success. 
Food is so important, they even serve it in a non-traditional way. We designed a program that has um, family-style service, so we we created uh, we created a room that has round tables and eight chairs at each table. So each chair, you can see a number on each chair. Each chair has a number, and that is a responsibility to the table. So if that kid is sitting at chair one, they know they should go and get the silverware. So each chair has a responsibility to that table. So setting the table from one to four, and these kids in five and six actually serve the, serve the food, and seven and eight actually clear everything up and get ready for the next, for the next lunch. Lastly, Frank shows us the school's aeroponic farm, or a collection of plants growing in the air. It was huge, nearly from floor to ceiling, with black tubing. The constant running water grows louder the closer we get. We connected to AeroFarms. They took technology and, and science and agriculture and, and brought it to this whole other level. Just literally came down from Ithaca, New York, and they were looking for a place in Newark to house it. AeroFarms is a vertical indoor aeroponic farm nearby in Newark, but you'll hear more about them later in the show. The company gifted the farm to Phillips Academy so they'd have access to fresh produce. Here's Vanessa Parker again, telling us how she uses their greens. The arugula vinaigrette we usually get from our Arrow Farms farm. I just blend it up and do it. That's my own secret recipe. I can't, can't give you all the details, but it definitely has arugula and olive oil in it. Even though Vanessa wouldn't spill the beans on her ingredients, we declare the mystery of school lunches solved. Best chipotle chicken, brown rice, and roasted zucchini I've ever seen or tasted. After lunch, we skipped class and made our way to the local distillery. Dylan Hoyer has that story. Next, we headed to the Ironbound District of Newark, a historic neighborhood which became industrialized in the 1820s as German and Irish immigrants flocked to the area. Today, it remains a culturally diverse neighborhood and a hub for food and drink, with about 200 restaurants. Okay, should we do whiskey first? How should we should properly taste the whiskey? Or should we just knock it back? We arrived at All Points West Distillery to talk to its founder, Gil Speyer. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. It, it, it goes back to the early part of the 19th century, actually earlier with ciders. There was kind of generation after generation of immigrants to the town would found breweries making, you know, their home version of beer. They tended to have like a generation or two run and they would all shut down. And I thought it would be kind of interesting to bring back beverage alcohol production, specifically from grain here in Newark. Gil is eager to revitalize Newark's roots, as well as the history of his craft. Gil distills small batch vodka, gin, and whiskey. Each has a distinct character. The vodka is filtered through bone black charcoal. The gin is an aromatic blend of 13 botanicals, including juniper and coriander, as well as elderberry and rosehip. And the whiskey has a chronicled transatlantic past. The three spirits that I make, the gin, the vodka, and the whiskey, all historically share a common origin. They all would have been a simple uh, malted barley spirit. And as techniques developed and as laws changed and as economies changed, they tended to replace the malted barley with, with other grains. And that's really when the spirits come into their own. It's kind of that moment that I'm looking at. Gill traces his techniques back to the late 17th century, when Ireland imposed a tax on malted barley, 
and for the first time, unmalted ingredients were used to make whiskey, unmalted barley as well as unmalted oats and wheat. This style was known as pure pot still whiskey. And this whiskey went on for a very long time, and it was challenged by two things. Um, an introduction of a new grain, one that we're very familiar with here in America, Indian maize or corn, and the other was the introduction of new technology, the continuous column still. So I decided to kind of look at the history of see if there was anything there that I could draw upon, and it turned out there was quite a bit. In the mid-19th century, the UK repealed its corn laws, and American corn entered the market for the first time in decades. Spirit makers incorporated this new ingredient to create a pot still whiskey with blended grains. And I thought this was kind of great that there was a UK whiskey style, a historic one, and actually a link between Irish whiskeys and American bourbons. So I figured, okay, I, I, you know, I'll adopt this transatlantic orphan and, and give it a home here. So I'm really doing a style of Irish pot still whiskey that uses corn as the unmalted portion of the grain bill. And I'm the first distillery doing that commercially in 110 years. At heart, Gil is a lover of lost things. I mean, so much was lost in Prohibition. In terms of drinking culture, there's been a you know, multi-decade attempt to kind of elevate it to where it was when it was outlawed. And I think that distilling is lagging behind um, cocktail production. I think, I think the bartenders have been more innovative than the distillers. And I think there's a lot of room for us to go to kind of recapture a, a lot of the type of ingredients and processes that were lost. Gil is distilling new batches of whiskey, vodka, and gin every two weeks. You can stop by for tours, tastings, and cocktails at All Points West any Thursday through Sunday. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This episode is presented by The Brooklyn Kitchen, a recreational cooking school on a mission to change the world by teaching people how to cook like grown-ups. The Brooklyn Kitchen began in 2006 when two creative home chefs, Taylor Erkinen and Harry Rosenblum, recognized an opportunity to create a community space with approachable, hands-on cooking classes and inventive culinary experiences. Taylor and Harry believe that cooking is a daily practice in creative problem-solving. They bring this ethos to The Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking school that fosters community and redefines home cooking for everyone. Now located at Sunset Park's Industry City, the Brooklyn Kitchen hosts a range of public and private cooking classes, corporate team parties, pop-up dinners, and tasting events for cooks of all levels. Learn more at thebrooklynkitchen.com. Are you enjoying our podcast? Heritage Radio Network has lots more. I'm Ethan Frisch. And I'm Jenny Dorsey. And together we host Why Food, a podcast about innovators, career changers, and entrepreneurs who are changing the face of food. How did these folks decide to hit the brakes, start over, and become inspiring chefs, entrepreneurs, farmers, and activists they are today? Browse episodes of Why Food wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to Meet in 3. The next stop on our Newark tour was Casero y Bon, the only charcuterie shop in the U.S. to sell certified presunto iberico, authentic Portuguese ham. We were set to meet with the shop's owner, Rodrigo Duarte, but at the last minute, he was called away to the farm. There had been an emergency of the piglet variety. You know, I, I got a call at 3 a.m. in the morning. We knew that that week that the babies would have dropped, but we won't know that what day exactly would it be to it. So, and then I received a phone call that 
they were into labor, two of them. So I had to go there. We stayed, I stayed there uh, 48 hours, no sleep, little sleep, 48 hours. And uh, we had uh, one sow had uh, six babies and the second sow had eight babies. They're nice and healthy now. These are no ordinary pigs on Rodrigo's farm. They're pure Iberico pigs with a genetic line dating back to the 1700s. For decades, this livestock was banned in the U.S., but Rodrigo became determined to change that. He tried crossbreeding at first. But I wasn't happy yet, so I uh, wasn't satisfied yet. So I began to work with the Portuguese and U.S. government. And uh, 12 years after, I got the, the pigs in a plane and they land in GFK, New York. I was really a happy, uh, really happy man. Rodrigo's involvement with the Portuguese government didn't stop there. Portuguese officials visit his farm each year to make sure he's following the terms of the Pata Negra certification. And Rodrigo is required to keep a record of his new piglets. And uh, and all of the newborns in the U.S. today are registered back to uh, the book of authenticity that is controlled by the Portuguese government. And we have to take pictures of it and we have to make sure that Every you know the year tags that each one of the sows carry pedigree papers. They all carry a serial number on their year, and um, we have to take photos of it. We have to t- trace that and and report back to the Portuguese government. Those hogs will be raised according to strict standards, which ultimately affects the quality of the meat. The way we they live their lives for almost a hundred percent free range, vegetable hundred percent vegetable feed and um, acorns and chestnuts uh, finish. We bring to from Portugal a lot of chestnuts and acorns for that uh, last three times, uh, three months their life. We, we finalize them with it. And then after that, we slaughter them. And we slaughter them and we cure the hams no less than three to four years, not six or nine months. And right there you have a uh, richer unique, nutty flavor. Although we didn't get to meet in person, we could sense Rodrigo was beaming with pride as he told us about his part in this long-standing tradition. The genetics were not modified since the 1700s. So, 300 years later, a guy named Rodrigo Duarte brought pigs to U.S. and is protecting them and keeping them pure. By sustaining the ancestry line of the Iberico pig, Rodrigo is not only carrying on a national tradition, but contributing to agricultural diversity. Industrial farming has homogenized our food system, leading many animal breeds towards extinction. Rodrigo is resisting this trend, and by following his passion over profit, he's enabling healthier and more humane husbandry. Plus, this ham is incredibly delicious and so special to taste. After sampling some of the freshly shaved Presunto Iberico, we jumped in a car to head to our final Newark destination. Walking into Arrow Farms feels a little bit like taking a step into the future. The facility in Newark can produce up to 2 million pounds of fresh leafy greens every year on just one acre of land. It's an aeroponic farm, so the greens aren't planted in soil or water. And since Aero Farms is indoors, their plants also grow without sunlight. So how do they do it? Before we could get inside to see, we had to gear up. We sanitized our shoes, removed our jewelry and watches, and made our way through a pressurized room with air showers. We put on disposable overcoats to cover our street clothing. 
then goggles, hairnets, beard nets, and booties. Okay. So then the last thing is we're just going to wash our hands and then put on gloves on the way out. When we were finally suited up, Casey Higgins, AeroFarm's sales and marketing coordinator, took us into the grow room. So yeah, welcome to AeroFarm's. This facility is the world's largest indoor vertical farm. The grow room looks the way I imagine a warehouse in a spaceship might. There are 14 growing towers, each one 12 levels high and about 80 feet long. Each level of the towers holds flats full of leafy greens under the glow of LED lights. So hydroponics is when the roots of the plant are submerged in a bath of water. What we do instead is our roots are suspended in air and they're being misted with a water nutrient solution. The seeds are suspended not in soil, but in a cloth patented by Aero Farms. It looks like fleece, and it's made out of recycled bottles. There's a lot of benefits to growing leafy greens in this way. So first they grow really quickly, so we're able to grow them in two weeks. Um, so we're able to get a lot of harvest. They're also a very nutritionally dense food, which is something that's important to us. And we're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. So if you imagine this, which is roughly one acre of property here at Aero Farms, would be equivalent to 390 in a field. That productivity is possible for a few reasons. The first is just space. If you stack plants in a tower 12 levels high, you have room for 12 times as many plants. And since they're indoors, they aren't affected by seasons, drought, or storms, which are becoming even more common as our climate changes. We caught operations manager Emily Weber, who gave us a quick overview of a day in the grow room. So the day-to-day -day is basically we have our plan of the day. We start with our seeding. We usually load a whole big tower in one day. Once the greens are ready, the frames are removed from the towers and loaded into the automatic harvester. They're packaged in a room across the hall and sold to grocery stores under Aero Farms' retail brand, Dream Greens. We unload the whole tower in one day, so it gets cut. It gets packaged all the same day, and we ship it out the door within that same day or less than 24 hours the next day. All this happens without the greens ever being touched. AeroFarm's greens are never washed, and they don't recommend that customers wash them either. What makes us really special is our productivity, obviously, but also you can see that we went through like a really rigorous wash-up process, yeah. and that is because we value food safety so much. It's true. Their commitment to food safety is intense, and for good reason. In the past two years, three serious outbreaks of foodborne illness were traced back to leafy greens. But without soil, human hands, or washing facilities, Aero Farms cuts back significantly on the risk of foodborne illness and on water use. Their wash-up process and protective gear also prevent staff and visitors like us from jeopardizing plant growth by tracking in pests, pathogens, or other contaminants. And if something were to get in, we make it really inhospitable. This is Mark Oshima, chief marketing officer. After our tour, he explained how integrated pest management works in the grow room. There are things that we're doing even around using our lighting regimen, for example. One is we eliminate uh, the green part of the spectrum that they use to help navigate. Uh, we eliminate infrared they use to help for mating purposes. So we're using technology in very specific ways to help you know, really minimize any of that kind of pressure. Because they minimize pest pressure, AeroFarms doesn't have to spray pesticides or other chemicals, another reason their greens don't need to be washed. So even though the USDA does not certify aeroponic farms as organic, AeroFarms does meet many consumers' standards for organic food. They also don't use genetically modified varieties, 
but instead choose flavorful varieties and design the perfect environment for them to grow in. I mean, what's the most compelling is, and we invest a lot in sampling and tasting. You know, if you look at all the studies on nutrition, you know, field-grown product, it's gone down over the last 25, 30 years. And that field grower, they're focusing on different characteristics. You know, they're thinking about, is that seed mildew resistant? Are they looking at varieties that can be really hardened to withstand a very complex supply chain? So flavor and nutrition have become, you know, secondary and tertiary in those efforts. And so we can bring that to the forefront. Right now, they grow six kinds of greens. Red romaine, baby kale, watercress, arugula, pak choy, and ruby streaks mustard greens. I had a chance to taste test them, so I can tell you they're delicious. But they also taste good because they're fresh. A short supply chain means the greens are sold close by very soon after harvest. And it's not just the greens that are local. The workforce is too. We spoke to quality assurance technician Samantha Evans-Tour, who lives in Newark and has worked at Arrow Farms for three years. You know, lots of times when you have to get something that's been shipped from way across the country, you know, you got to think about it being in which who's ever truck for however long. How long has it been on that shelf before it got in the truck? Once it leaves the truck, how long is it going to the next spot? You know, the transportation process of bringing and, and shipping and receiving goods is very time consuming. So here, because we grow locally and we sell locally, you're getting it right away. Can't get no fresher than this. Aeroponic farming may not replace soil farmers or outdoor growers, but the world's population is growing, while water and viable farmland are becoming more and more scarce. Aerofarms offers one way to grow fresh, flavorful food efficiently in urban places, without a lot of the risks that come with farming outdoors. If you want to taste the results of vertical aeroponic farming, you can find Aerofarm's retail label Dream Greens on Fresh Direct or at New Jersey Whole Foods, ShopRites, and local grocery stores. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Dylan Hoyer, Ariam Along, and Aaliyah Papes for their reporting. And to Chief Marketing Officer at Aerofarm's Marco Shima for helping us set this trip up. Meet and 3 is produced by Hannah Forden, Liza Hamm, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler with lead production for this episode by Ariama Long. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York State Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio.